I'm sure someone would hear me if I screamed. This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Magazine by Jump Little Children. As cohesive and as interesting as this record is, though, they're just detours that I didn't want to take. I don't want to write them off completely, but... Kind of reminded me of, like, Rufus Wainwright fronting Hot Hot Heat. There's parts where there's so many lyrics, like, you can barely get them all in. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Anichi, and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Jason... Ziak. Jay, it's episode 150, 150, our third season coming to a close, and we have another requested review. Requested, requested review. review. This one comes to us from Mr. Scott Russell Helgram. He is a frequent commenter on our board. And he suggested a band called Jump Little Children. Jay, are you familiar with Jump Little Children? I wasn't. And when I saw the request to do this record, I uh, thought the band's name was Magazine. Because <laughs> that seemed more like a band name than Jump Little Children. Yes, I also made the same mistake. But then I remembered, wait a minute, there was a band called Magazine, like, a long time ago, I think. This couldn't possibly be the same band. And we were both wrong. The name of the band is Jump Little Children. And, uh... Neither of us knew anything about it, which is always kind of fun. It makes this show uh, more interesting when we have no clue what the hell we're getting into, and then we get into it. So here we go. Let's do uh, let's do some history of the band. History of the band. So Jump Little Children formed in Winston Salem, North Carolina, in 1991. The original lineup was Jay Clifford on vocals and guitar. Matthew Bivens on vocals, accordion, harmonica, mandolin, melodica, and tin whistle. Ward Williams on cello <laughs> you and guitar. You made that last one up. No, I didn't. Nobody, Let me put it to this way. Nobody plays tin whistle. He's the. He's not the only person to play tin whistle on this band. Um, what the? Ward Williams okay. on cello and guitar, and then Christopher Pollen on guitar so originally when they formed they did not have a drummer they were just a string section i guess you'd say so they played their first show on january 1st 1992 as a part of a new year's festival in downtown winston salem originally the band was performing irish music at the time and in the winter of 92 clifford bivens and pollen uh, went to ireland to uh, learn their craft as they say um they decided to move the band to Boston, Massachusetts, which is, if you're going to play Irish music, that's a good place to go, I guess. Um, and they met at, in Boston, future double bass player Jonathan Gray. Uh, they recorded and released their first original um, cassette of Irish traditional music in 1993. Uh, at that point, Christopher Pollen left the band... Um, and uh, the the Bivens and Clifford Bivens uh, Evan Bivens was on drums at this point. Returned to Charleston um, in uh, the summer of '94. They added uh, a great Johnny Gray on double bass. Uh, soon joined the band uh, full time, and um, 
the band was uh, busking on the corners of uh, the streets in Charleston, and they started to blend their Irish folk music with their alter- with alternative rock sound, and they started to gain some uh, local notoriety, receiving local airplay. They released a f- the Licorice Tea demos in early 1995, um, and they began regular touring in 96-97, which would get them then, uh, after a live EP was released, signed to Raking Records, which was a subsidiary of Atlantic Records, and started by Hootie and the Blowfish. So their first and only release for Breaking Records, which is Magazine, the album we are reviewing, was released in the summer of 1998. It was produced by Brad Jones. Now, Brad Jones actually has a fairly interesting um, uh, producing background. He has produced albums by Matthew Sweet, Imperial Drag, Marshall Crenshaw, and Jill Sobule. There you go. The single Cathedrals received some minor national airplay uh, after the release of the albums. Uh, they re- went to record their second album, Vertigo, and it was also produced by Wood and then um, going to be released on Breaking Records, but then Atlantic dropped the record label, not just the band, but the whole label, um, and they eventually released it on their own album, Easy Chief Records, in September 2001. Uh, they continued... Uh, touring, uh, released a DVD called Live at the Music Farm, and then released um, another album, Between the Dim and the Dark, which came out in 2004. Uh, followed that up with Between the Glow and the Light in 2005, which was our last uh, studio album. And Live at the Dock Street Theater was released in 2006. And then the band broke up uh, shortly later, during 2006 and have not reunited or have plans to reunite. So that is the history of Jump Little Children. At some point, and we'll get into this, the band shortened their name to simply Jump. Which makes, I guess, it easier to, or in our case, less easier to find information mm. if you're going to Google the word Jump. Um, yeah. If you, like Mr. Halgram, would like to suggest an album for review, head on over to our digmeoutpodcast.com website and hit our request review page. Now, we did get some Facebook feedback. Uh, Jewel Royal and Not a Bad Little Record, although I prefer the ones made after it, especially when they shorten their name to just Jump. There you go. Scott Russell Halgram chimed in, the person who suggested. Spoiler alert, I really like this album. I like the compositions. I like the drumming. I like the vocals. I like all the songs. A few years ago, a buddy of mine got rid of all his CDs and sent them to me. A bunch of junk in there and a bunch of stuff I knew I'd like but just didn't have. And then there were a couple of gems, stuff I'd never heard of. This was one of those. Texas is the Reason album was another one. Interesting. And then Dimitri Dumitri, Scott, Hmm. we have the same kind of friends. People just give me their CDs because I still love listening to music that way. Never heard of this record, though. Oh, well, Dimitri, now you are. You're going to hear about this record. So, Jay. Jump, little children. Did this album make you jump for joy, or uh, was it a little depressing? I don't know. It's, uh, I'm trying to think of a witty tie in there. <laughs> well, you can tell it's late. It's been a long day. Yeah, it's been Peter a long day. Out I'm, on the sideways. Am, yes. What do you think? What, what's your opinion? Right, pull together. I think 
pull it together. This album deserves better. Yes, it does. Better effort from you. I, I ended up loving this record. Um, really? I don't know that I love this band because um, I've sampled some of the other stuff and it doesn't sound to me anything like this record. But uh, I was drawn in right away by songs like Not Today, Come Out Clean, and My Guitar, which are, um, you know, up-tempo rock songs with a lot of melodies, um, uh, harmonies, um, a lot of hooks, um, some very uh, competent but still original guitar playing. Um, and I really enjoyed, you know, the first pass through, the the vocal um, and the style. And he, he's very, um, I don't know the best way to describe it. He's like, you can just hear the, the energy coming out of him and the way that he delivers the vocal. There's parts where there's so many lyrics, like he can barely get them all in, but it, it sounds so spontaneous and real. Um, I was really drawn into that. Uh, I, I, I wasn't completely sold on... You know, the majority of this record um, tends to be songs that are either more of a mid-tempo or a mix of, you know, um, a little bit more of a roller coaster ride. So a mid-tempo song that maybe picks up here but then drops back down. Um, those songs took me a little bit longer to get into, but once I gave them a chance, I ended up liking most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because there there's enough variety in, in them with the instrumentation um there's some really cool things going on between this the cello and the guitar and the different guitar sounds and multiple guitars and multiple strings and there's just a lot of really cool counter melodies and just tension and all kinds of of really nice um interplay between those instruments um so in a, in a lot of those songs where you know say a song like um Violent Dreams. When that song starts, for probably the first 30 seconds or so, I was groaning a bit because it kind of sounds like a John Mayer song. Something I said, something I did, is bringing on this violent emergency. One black day in ghostly white, but just another sleepless night. then all of a sudden they open up and they go into this big part with electric guitars and they start to bring this the second verse brings the string in in a different way the the cello in and it turns into something almost unexpected Mm -hmm. Um, and and a lot of those songs do that they start off in sort of this ho-hum kind of strummy acoustic thing or in in a vocal and you're kind of like uh, this kind of sounds like 90s folk rock or something or like a, an album track off like Bare Naked Ladies or something, you know what I mean? And, and then all of a sudden, there's just this emotional burst that happens, either in a pre-chorus or a chorus, and there's this really, there's a lot of really sophisticated use of melody on this album. Mm-hmm. Um, a song like Cathedrals 
it's fairly simple, but from a, from a presentation standpoint, but like melodically, the way that song just builds on top of each other, the vocal keeps building up and up and up and up and kind of comes back down. And there's a lot of really interesting vocal melodies on this record, um, which which I really enjoyed. Production's great. I don't know. I just I genuinely found myself um, after listening to this for a couple of days, you know, singing along to it, air drumming along to it, just being totally into it and uh, just having a great time with it. And it, they do something with the strings that is is important for me when you include strings in uh in rock music. They they go the John Bryan route, which is they use the sad strings as opposed to the um, dramatic dramatic or like powerful so say like uh uh, i don't know uh like a lot of pop songs like they'll add strings but they really just kind of um they mimic the the chord the basic chord structure of the song which it gives fills it out and gives it more power but it kind of just ends up sounding a little cheesy and like overdone and the strings that they that they use are actually like these kind of like somber sounding sad notes that counter his um usually pretty upbeat positive vocal so there's mm-hmm. kind of this really nice interplay um like you would hear on on the Grays record or on a jellyfish record or on a john bryan record where there's a maybe part of the music is kind of sounds major and positive and you know full of energy and the other part of it is like sad um, so they, they kind of pull that off really well. And for me, when you're going to do strings, if you can do that, um, I'm usually going to be a fan. So, yeah, I end up liking this quite a bit. What uh, what do you think? I'm right there with you. Um, there are two sort of misfires for me. Uh, number six, Body Parts, and number nine, Habit. They're odd songs, and they don't. I don't think they fit on the record as. <sighs> As, as cohesive and as interesting as this record is, though, they're just detours that I didn't want to take. But the rest of the record, from the up-tempo, more jagged stuff, like Not Today, uh, which shows off, you know, great, like, start-and-stop sort of songwriting ability, to the closer, which is Close Your Eyes, um, you know, is a much more, you know, quiet, acoustic song. I mean, they just show off so much versatility and like you know scott mentioned the compositions of these songs are just i you know you can tell that there's a bit more going on than just your typical alternative rock and i think a lot of it has to do with his vocal because i kept hearing like rufus wainwright when he was singing um and Mm. that sort of traditional sounding sort of studied vocal um that rufus wainwright has yeah yeah um it's not on every I song. Thought of that, yeah. It and it, it made me think that like you know on certain songs where they're getting up tempo and the guitars are a little more aggressive, it kind of reminded me of like Rufus Wainwright fronting Hot Hot Heat. Like it's just a yeah. It's a it's a really bizarre combo, but they pull it off. And this could have been terribly wrong in the in the wrong set of hands. But um, you mentioned Cathedrals, and that was the single, and that's just a it's a really a beautiful song, and has this. Mm-hmm almost like timeless sound to it which is really hard to pull off
something as wild as my guitar which features this like finger tapping guitar solo intro uh that would you know be at home on a van halen record and pair it with this really catchy essentially power pop song about you know how much he loves his guitar and he's gonna go home with his guitar at night instead of the girl which is kind of funny pretty much you know this, this record doesn't have, and even the songs that I mentioned that as far as Misfires being body parts and habit, I didn't skip them. I mean, they're interesting. Yeah, yeah. But they're, they're like, just, um, he's, his vocal is sort of kind of creepy mm-hmm. in, in body parts, which I, and then he goes into like this screaming part, which made me think of like at the drive-in or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like uh, Rage Against the Machine almost when he gets to the chorus. Yeah. Like, like he gets aggressive with the, the that sort of flow style vocal, mm-hmm. and it starts to feel like that to me. And those are songs like typically I would skip and I was, I was, I was itching first couple of times I listened to them to skip them. Cause I, you know, going through the first verse, I'm thinking to myself, All right, I know where this goes. You know what I mean? We've listened to enough of these records now at this point where when you get to these weird songs on the record, you, you can tell like, all right, they're experimenting in the studio and they're going to do like this spoken word thing with some noise. And then it's going to fade out and be like an 11 minute song with like back, words noise and you know what i mean crap but they don't do that they both go to places that are kind of unexpected and very interesting if you stick around right um and they end up being they end up being yeah they're a little bit odd but they're worth a listen and they they play a part on the record they're not just like throw away yeah i mean they're you know they took some chances and i understand you know bands don't want to write Especially bands that are this talented that clearly were um, coming from a you know a background of songwriting and and you know they played folk music and traditional Irish folk music and adopted alternative music and combined it. Um, that song sort of embodies 
a very you, specific side of alternative music in the 90s. You mentioning Rage Against the Machine and me mentioning At the Drive-In. So I guess that sort of makes sense because you know, from song to song, there, there is elements of sort of like different sounds uh, from alternative 90s um, sort of well meshed together so that it's not as blatant, you know, that this is necessarily going to be the loud pop song or this is going to be the more introspective John Mayerish acoustic song that you mentioned yeah which then you know like you said takes a turn into a much more interesting uh path but it you know and listening to this I had a really hard time then pinning them down which is probably why you know they didn't necessarily this to me almost sounds like an early you know 2000s band more so than a late 90s band uh because yeah. of their not, it's not emo-ish, but um, it definitely has some elements of, like I mentioned, Hot Hot Heat, uh, which is kind of a bad comparison because I don't think Hot Hot Heat is nearly as interesting as songwriters as uh, this band is, but just in terms of the energy output. Yeah. I, I love on my guitar, you mentioned that song. Yeah, it has the finger tapping part, but the part I love even more is before the finger tapping, there's this harmony he's doing that is very Brian May-esque. Then he does the finger tapping. Then when you listen to the song, he brings the harmony back um, mm-hmm. on the guitar. It's just genius. I mean, it sounds like it's not. It, you're not gonna like listen to it and say, "Oh, that's a Queen ripoff." But it just it's that that sound that you think of as you know being Queen and Brian May. Right. It's kind of intermixed in the song, and when you hear it, you're just like, "Oh, so that's so like, brilliant." I love that. I just love the sound of it. You know, the those two harmonized guitars doing a melody together. Um, they counter the vocal and just little pieces and parts that just keep popping out, you know, and just when you, like I said, and I think you, you iterated too, just when you kind of, you think you got it, you got this band figured out and you may want to start to write them off. They throw something out there that you didn't expect and it makes you listen again and give them another chance. And, uh, this record just does that from top to bottom. Um, just constantly, which is, it's just a fun ride. Yeah, and they do a really good job introducing subtle yet a very effective like secondary and third instruments and vocal parts. Come Out Clean has the back and forth vocal, um, like a call and response vocal going on almost in the uh, in the verses, and they add you know the cello part you mentioned using the sad cello. Um, yeah. You know, they'll introduce it in sometimes in just in very simple, small parts. And the same thing with some other instruments where they just use it as an accent, even if it's just a couple of notes um, here or there. It, uh, it just adds a little bit more depth and, and more layers to sort of pick through. Um, it's a, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's dep- not depressing. That's not the right word I'm looking for, but it's frustrating because you can hear all the talent and all of the, um, you know, songwriting prowess in a band like this and that, like, how many people have actually, outside of the Winston-Salem or Charleston, North Carolina area, actually got a chance to, you know, hear this band. Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing not many, so. Even the songs like, yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, this is why we do this show. Um even a song like Come Out Clean where you could kind of write it off as a 
it's just incredibly hooky fun song right you can kind of just oh it's a just a, it's just that when you listen really listen to it like the verse sounds like ted leo almost mm-hmm. and then the chorus sounds like the police <laughs> you know it's like holy crap that's like that's a great combination you know mm-hmm. throwing throwing that stuff together and it's just it's so much fun it's just so much uh even in the slow songs they still have an energy you know there's so many it's so hard to do you know um well he's staying on top of it he's not like laying you know he's not letting like the chords dictate his vocal placement he's 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 on top of the chord progression and on top of the i don't want to say on top of the beat necessarily but he's like pushing the song forward with his vocal as opposed to the guitar or rhythm section and they'll like mix in you know really distorted guitar on, on a song that's kind of like a ballad but it'll be mixed in with like cello and violin and or whatever the strings are going on maybe it's accordion i don't even know but it all just it works so well and it i think i don't know if you've sampled any of their other material and i don't know i don't want to write them off completely but boy i tell you what it does not sound like this and the, the and it makes me think you know what really is special about this is that they're kind of playing, in a lot of cases, folk, almost folk music, but they're doing it with aggression. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a cool com. I mean, obviously they're doing a lot of other things too. There's, you know, there's Beatles parts and there's, you know, pop sensibilities and all kinds of different parts, but pieces and parts. But when you listen to their rest of their catalog, it just kind of sounds like alternative folk, like, you know like not interesting at all it doesn't Mm -hmm. have this like aggressiveness and energy and like he doesn't go for it on the vocal like he does on this record you know he's sort of like sings in this croaky throated like almost dave matthews kind of style on the other stuff that i listen to and on this he's like he's all i mean he's all over the place you know he's all over the spectrum when the album starts i mean he's in your face and they got the, the way it's produced i really enjoy the um the production on the vocal because you can hear like every breath he takes you know what i mean he's like right up in the mic and you can hear him breathing in and getting ready for the parts and you can hear all of the all the mouth stuff which for the way it's presented and the way he's singing it just makes it even more like intimate and urgent mm-hmm. um it was a really good really good engineering um to get all that right um, and they're all talented. You know what I mean? Like you can tell these guys know what they're doing, and they're really good musicians. Right. But uh, very often, when you get guys this good together, the music kind of gets safe and bland and almost calculated. And this feels like uh, there's like a sense of rebellion or joy or exuberance or something there that's not normally associated with people that are this talented musically if that makes any sense yeah it totally does that it, it, the music becomes sort of stale when it when it becomes yeah. you know so studied and um sort of by the numbers and you know it's a process rather than of uh you know that's why you know i mentioned rufus wainwright is, is sort of like a vocal uh not um, similarity, but there's some touches of his sort of, I guess it's his range and his phrasing, but I don't find Rufus Wainwright all that interesting all the time because I feel like he's writing from a very polished and studied place and it doesn't necessarily 
make me, it doesn't necessarily engage me because it feels kind of cold at times. And this feels laser hot. So it makes me wish like um, some of the, like uh, Jason Faulkner and John Bryan and that whole sort of crowd, the other guys in the grays and the jellyfish guys and, you know, sort of those really accomplished pop, power pop musicians that can kind of do, they're, they're super talented and they can, they can, play lots of different interesting instruments I, I, I really wish that some of those albums and some of those bands had this energy because this these guys can do that stuff too like mm-hmm. they can do harmonies just as good as those guys they can do really inter- interesting instrumentation just like those guys but then they go in all these other places and deliver it with such like just um joy that I don't. It, it, I, it just made me wish, like, wow! I wish some of the other uh, similar bands could do the same. Right. Well, Jay, it's time to uh, talk about ratings. Uh, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say, for the worthy album, better EP, decent single, you're at a worthy album. Uh, totally. Yeah. All right. I am as well. I'm actually looking forward to listen listening to this more. <laughs> there you go. There's not a better. Sometimes when we do these, you're kind of like. Yeah, sometimes we do these. It was like, oh, it's a good record, but I'm like, in the back of my head, thinking, I don't know, like, how soon I'm gonna be pulling this out again. Right. But this is a record where, like, tomorrow I would want to listen to it again. Cool. Well, you've got Scott Russell Helgram to thank. He's the one who suggested this record, and we want to thank him for bringing it to our attention. Uh, this is definitely a album worthy of your attention. And if you want to suggest an album, like I mentioned earlier, digmeoutpodcast.com. Hit up our, our hit up our request a review page and you can also make a request and then as uh, we mentioned in previous episodes during the month of december if you go to our itunes page and leave some positive feedback we're going to pick somebody to uh uh let them choose an album for us it's uh, a little a little thank you for the end of the year uh just you thank us we thank you that's how it works and uh month of december Leave some feedback. We'll pick one of you for a suggested review. Probably at the start of the next season. Because I can't pick it before December's over. So, and our last uh, episode will be our year-end wrap-up, of course. At the last week of December. So, uh, that's it for Jay. I am Tim. And that's it. That's a wrap. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages. Somewhere.